Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, you're listening to America's Off-Road Podcast. If you like going into the outdoors, camping with your family, or maybe you're building a new wheeling rig, you've come to the right place. Thanks for tuning in. Keep following along. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. As you can see, we're just keeping it mobile these days. We like to uh, mix it up. So with me today, I've got our good old friend, Mr. Ashford. Yo, yo. How you doing, dude? Tired. Tired. <laughs> just grinding away. We. Uh, this is my first time in your, your Tacoma. I'm digging it. It's very surprising how much nicer they made the Tacomas than they did the Tundras. It's kind of dirty right now in my standards. <laughs> I've been moving, so it's... uh. Oh, that's right. That's why you're tired. You're moving. Yeah. Just doing adult things. Bought a house. Bought a house. Moved. Don't have any money for toys anymore, so... Well, it's a good thing you got your truck built. Yeah. Ahead of time. Kind Smart of. man. Kind of. The phase. expensive parts done. Yes. Lighting, suspension... Which is exactly what we're going to dive into today, folks. This is a cool little, you know, just when you think it's a water bottle, how interesting can it be? They thought of everything. They came out with something like this and totally blew our minds. <laughs> it's awesome. And the other thing that's really cool with Model Outdoors is you can completely customize your water bottle to your specifications. So if you want the whole package, you can get all-inclusive everything that comes with it or if you have a specific purpose, like you want to use it as a hydration pack, or like the attachment Cooper just grabbed, which is the shower attachment, oh, yeah. uh, you can customize your model water bottle to however you see fit. So if you guys want the ultimate in hydration and portable water, make sure you go to Model Outdoors. That's M-O-D-L Outdoors.com. Use coupon code AOP10, and boom, you just got 10% off your order. What? And it, guess what? You order the water bottle and you decide you want to get some of these other awesome upgrades, go back, use that same coupon code, you'll get another 10% off your order. Get out of here. True story. So, if you guys want to stay hydrated out on the trail. Oh, I think you need to say it like it is. So If you don't want to die. <laughs> if you don't want to die, go to Model Outdoors, M-O-D-L, Outdoors.com. Use coupon code AOP10, get 10% off your order. Making hydration great again. Before we get into it, as always, um, you guys know where you can find us. Anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, something new for us uh, is Waypoint TV. Really cool platform. Uh, you can go to Waypoint TV and look at shows. You can click on podcasts. You can find us there, but you can also find a ton of other outdoor podcasts. Uh, so if you're into fishing, hunting, whatever it may be, Pretty much anything outdoors related, um, you can find us there along with our sister uh, podcast, America's Diesel Podcast, is on there as well. But um, go check us out there. As always, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube's, all that stuff. 
Uh, we have our own accounts now, America's Off-Road Podcast. Make sure you guys go follow along there so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes plus some of our builds and whatnot. But yeah, ironically, so we obviously we like doing these mobile podcasts. This is the first one Ash has done, but um, I dig it. This is uh, it's pretty fun, especially when you're out on the trail. Right now, we're just kind of cruising around, enjoying the wonderful day we have today. Uh, but yeah, Ash and I were talking, and you know, with his schedule and everything, it's kind of tough for us to all get together sometimes for the podcast. So it's a great way for us to hop out on lunch, do a little episode, and uh, yeah knock something out so yeah we were we were talking about what we were going to do today and i was like you know what ash is our suspension guy we get tons of questions of people asking just kind of generic shock questions on whether it's their you know the truck they bought or their jeep they bought where the oem shocks have finally kind of crapped out and they're wanting to upgrade to something that's going to be a little bit more of an upgrade from something that's oem um and uh right before in fact i better pull it out so we can give him a shout out Ash walked into my office, and I was like, you're never going to believe it. Let's it's, a good, see. it's a good one, because we get, we get this question actually quite a bit. We do. So Dave um, on Instagram, Radmigo, um, reached out because he just picked up a 22 Ford Ranger, um, nice. and, and he's wanting to upgrade. Um, his question kind of follows suit with uh, this topic of selecting your shocks, uh, the, the difference between um, all the different shop shock options out there but uh picked up a ranger what he found was he's only got really three options uh 2.0 ifp 2.5 ifp or 2.5 remote resi kind of wants to know if um the 2.5 remote resi is worth the money obviously there's going to be a pretty big um price price difference there um so yeah that's kind of what we're going to talk about today and we got the right guy in the driver's seat mr ash he is our suspension guru comes from a Pretty big background to suspension stuff, just from your own tinkering and yeah. and building from the past. So playing around with different shocks from the cheapies to the full meal deals, I've kind of ran them all and have a, a bit of a diversity or just a big background with shocks in general, suspension in general, with different platforms. And you got really, really uh, geeky on your uh, Ram you had, didn't you? Yeah. So that truck had. Uh, Cooper did a lot of stuff to it originally, and then I kind of took it from there and uh, went full nerd with quad bypass shocks, four inch diameter, just as far as you could take it. And so I've ran, you know, both sides of the spectrum. And then having a big background on the uh, motocross off road side for motorcycles, there's no vehicle other than like a trophy truck that really has as much technology into the suspension so that's really where i learned a lot of the terminology and what shim stacks do what different type of valving does i really learned it from motorcycles right but it's at the end of the day it's nuts and bolts so going between a shock and uh you know a shock on a motorcycle two wheels four wheels doesn't make a difference it all performs pretty similar to each other sure so i get a lot of knowledge from that and uh it's usually a fun question to answer because people are it's confusing you have so many options on the market and then you have brands that have the same suspension package but it comes with four different shock types right so it's almost you get too many options and it makes it too difficult to pick right and then you you go into and we'll dive into this in more detail but you have some brands where it's individual components you you know say you go to a, a coil over up front you have some brands that sell the strut and the coil just completely not separate but not assembled where you have to actually reuse some of your factory components like your yeah. top hat or you have manufacturers where when it shows up it's literally ready to bolt into your rig um so yeah let's let's dive into first and foremost the different kinds of shocks there are starting from just your generic 2.0 you know twin tube or monotube shock <clears throat> yeah um I guess break it down into the, the very simple basics of what a shock absorber is. Your vehicle is supported by a suspension system through the means of a spring, whether it be a coil spring or a leaf spring, or even some applications with a torsion bar. It's a it's a, some sort of a spring itself, and that's to, to provide um, suspension to the vehicle so you're not just riding around on a chassis. Um, but 
the downfall of that, much like a coil spring, is the easiest. I like to think of things in exaggerated terms. Much like a coil spring, we've all had one in our fingers before as a kid. You collapse it, and it's very boingy. It wants to bounce around. The purpose of a shock absorber is to prevent that. So once you collapse a spring, it naturally wants to bounce back. Right. So if you didn't have any shocks, you've seen that guy like driving down the road, the whole <laughs> truck's bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. That's indication that the shock's not dampening correctly, and that's the purpose of a shock is just to dampen the suspension. My favorites are the truck that is smooth as can be, but their tire's going up and down a 1,000 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we see those from time to time. Um, but, yeah, that's the, you know, the quick, skinny elevator speech of how shocks are, what shocks are for. It's just to dampen the ride. And that's another question that I get a lot is people looking for additional load support. They think the shock's going to do that for them. Right. Uh, the shock, again, is just to dampen the ride. So uh, load support's going to come from your spring. Right. But uh, different types of shock you mentioned, you have your standard single tube emulsion, emulsion shocks, um, which just means that everything's emulsified into one tube or a mono tube, um, which is the most popular shock. That's what most all automotive applications come with from factory. Um, very simple design. All common shock absorbers today are going to be hydraulic. So we use an oil or a fluid. And the, again, quick skinny, you have a shaft with a piston that goes inside of a tube. And oil flows through orifices in that tube to help dampen the control for compression, meaning collapsing, or rebound, meaning extending. And so, this is going to be the most cost-effective um, option for you out there. So if you are on a budget, this is, we are starting, like, most inexpensive to most expensive. So these... Okay. These yeah. monotube shops typically that you'll see are going to be the most inexpensive. And, and like Ash said, they're very common. They come in a lot of the entry-level suspension kits. Um, it's going to be just that single monotube shock. Yeah, and for, for most all automotive purposes, meaning your, your Jeeps, your trucks, most monotubes are going to be about a two-inch body, which is a fairly small diameter body, but that gets the majority of vehicles you know, it tackles most of the vehicles. Right. Um, once we start increasing diameters, we'll get into that later in this discussion. But most monotube shocks, entry level, they're somewhat affordable, and they're typically around a two-inch body. They do not have any sort of additional reservoir or anything like that. And the main differences on standard monotubes is you'll have some that are nitrogen-charged or a gas shock, and some that are just a typical emulsion shock where it's just oil, um, which... There's pros and cons of everything, much like everything in the world. You have pros and cons with, uh, you know, suspension and shocks. The nitrogen sh shocks are arguably a much better option because it has the ability to compress the oil and keep it from foaming. Right. Which is a big issue, and that's exactly why when we dip into larger bodies and reservoirs, the additional fluid volume is a big help. Right. And, yeah, I think it's fair to say the majority of, of aftermarket shocks on the market are nitrogen charged? Just about any aftermarket shock is. Some some vehicles, you know, maybe not. I, I haven't seen just a standard oil-bodied shock in quite some time, unless if you're going, you know, like your Tenneco Automotive Monroe series shock. Right. Just bottom of the barrel, you know, a $20 shock. You can compress it with your hands. Yeah. Most common shocks are going to be nitrogen charged, and that's just the, that's the future. That's, well, it's been... It's the it's the present, yeah, um, right? So most vehicles come with those, and in most of your single emulsion or single tube shocks that you guys may be aware of uh, or have heard in the past are going to be like your Ranchos, uh, Skyjackers, Bilstein, your Fox IFP, just single tube performance series shocks. There's a ton of different brands. They're all doing very similar thing, where it's just a single tube shock and nitrogen charged. And for those of you that don't know, IFP is, is it internal floating piston? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's a bit different design that Fox, um, I don't think they came out with, but that's something that they use in their IFP series shocks. It just has an additional internal floating piston, uh, which separates the nitrogen charge to the oil to help aid in dampening. Because um, anybody that knows hydraulics, once it gets hot, 
that oil starts to foam, much like engine oil or anything, any any oil for that matter. Right. And you start to lose a lot of dampening. So for those that are a bit more aggressive with their vehicle on how they drive, for example, off-road, washboards, uh, things like that, a monotube shock can only perform so well because it eventually will overheat. And that's when you start to see a, a big decrease in its dampening. And that's that's not just driving on the pavement, you know, for a road trip necessarily. Ash is talking about when that piston is moving up and down mm-hmm. at a high rate of speed for a significant amount of time. It takes some time to get them warmed up. Right. Um, so for like the average Joe, that's just a daily driver. That's the reason why, you know, your Bilstein 5100s, your Fox 2.0s, they're so popular. Right. Because it does what it needs to do for the average Joe. Yep. Um, so if you're the guy that doesn't see dirt hardly at all, then that might be the shock for you. It's going to be more affordable. You're going to get the same similar valving um, as you would with a larger shock, but you're not going to get, you know, not going to break your pocketbook. It, it's a lot more affordable. Right. Um, all right. What's the upgrade from that? So moving on from there, your typical next jump up is a larger diameter. Um, so you'll go from like a two to 2.5 emulsion shock, still a single tube, exact same thing as what we just discussed, just a slightly larger body that allows it to have a little bit more fluid volume, the more fluid you have, the longer it's going to stay cool and a little bit, uh, I should, should say a larger piston in order to provide a little bit more dampening as well. So it's same principle as the 2.0s. They just provide more dampening for a longer period of time. Okay. So when you're talking 2.0, 2.5, what diameter exactly is that referring to? That is the body of the shock? Typically the body of the shock. Yeah. <clears throat> the outside dimensions of the shock itself, um, which it directly relates to the piston size as well. It goes without saying the larger the diameter on the outside, the exterior body, the larger the piston will be on the inside. Right. Which, again, bigger piston means more ability to dampen. And you're going to get some additional fluid in the larger size shock bodies exactly so yeah um more fluid capacity means it's going to take longer for that that fluid to heat up so um again a a budget-friendly option it's maybe more intended for that guy that's like 10 percent off-road maybe 20 percent off-road where he doesn't want to spend the additional money on something like a remote reservoir or a extremely large-bodied shock they don't need that, but they want a bit of an improvement over just a standard two-inch shock. Sure. <clears throat> um, then we dive into the fun stuff. The yeah. uh, remote reservoir. Um, yeah. Total side note. Have you seen this house? I have not. It's gigantic. Isn't that insane? We're driving down some back road, and there's some mob boss building a mansion. Um yeah, remote resis, um, which is which is a really awesome option. Um, they it's essentially exactly what it sounds like. It's you probably seen it on some of the shocks. If you're a novice to off roading, there is a separated chamber um, from the actual shock body itself. Um, and uh, explain what the remote resis do for you, Ash. Yeah. Biggest issue with a, a monotube or emulsion shock is that there's just not enough space in them in order to have enough oil volume and have the nitrogen charge uh, inside of them as well. So you have to fit all those components in a small body, um, which a big positive or a pro of a remote reservoir is you get the nitrogen charge and the floating piston out of the actual body of the shock itself, and you put it in that remote reservoir. So, um, by doing so exactly that, it's going to, you're going to start seeing a trend here, more fluid volume, better cooling capacity, better dampening. So the larger the body of the shock, the bigger the reservoir, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We're just going to continue to grow with that dampening ability. But, um, there's typically two types of re- uh, reservoirs. You have piggyback reservoirs and remote reservoirs. They both function exactly the same. Piggybacks are the ones that are attached right to the body of the shock, typically at the top hat, um, which are think of like a mountain bike shock is a right. good example, or like a motorcycle shock where the reservoir is right there on the body. It doesn't have a remote line. Um, 
So piggybacks are common on platforms or applications that you have enough space to run them, which some, you know, some trucks, there's plenty of room to run a piggy and there's no reason to run a remote. Um, but on other applications, you definitely have to run a remote in order to get the reservoir out of harm's way or up in the fender well or away sure. from the shock body. Um, but they both do the same thing. Remote reservoir is exactly like is the name implies a reservoir that's remote typically has a hydraulic line that goes from the body of the shock to the reservoir. And again, the reservoir common misconception is it's oil. It's 90% nitrogen charged. Um, there's a floating piston inside of it, which again will separate the nitrogen charge from the oil. And that's typically why you see the Schrader valve on one side, the opposite side of the hose on a remote reservoir is that's where the nitrogen charges or the gas charges. And then between that and the oil is that separating piston. Gotcha. Uh, and one thing I want to point out too, because I, I have had the question asked a handful of times, um, as just pointed out, there's the Schrader valve where you would charge the shock. You do need a specialized tool. Yeah. When you are messing around with that, this is not like putting air in your bicycle tire, um, which is it, it is a common thing for for newcomers to, um, you know, the off road industry. Um, you see them on steering stabilizers. You see them on your shocks. Um, it's best if you if you don't know exactly what you're doing, just let it be. Leave yeah. it alone. Take it to a, a shop where they specialize in shocks. Let um, it go, buddy. Because it, and correct me if I'm wrong, like. One little push of your finger could drain a significant amount of nitrogen out of your... Yeah, much like air shocks, they're a very low volume. So right. people think that like there's a huge amount of volume. This isn't like a tire where you have a ton of volume inside of it. Extremely small, either bladder or a very small chamber of which nitrogen air is inside. Right. Um, and a very just like touching the Schrader valve could easily bleed off 50 to 100 PSI. Um, which is a lot, which is a lot. Typical shocks, just to get you in the ballpark, are generally around 150 PSI. And that is not, you know, set. That can be fine-tuned, sure. which is a whole other conversation to have. But <clears throat> in short and quick, that nitrogen charge uh, holds pressure against the dampening uh, floating piston, I should say, and also holds oil volume up against the shim stack on the main body or the main piston and higher the pressure uh, typically the harsher the shock will feel or the more firm the shock will feel so that's another tuning point for a lot of uh, suspension tuners or shock builders as you can play with that but for the end user like you or me it's not something that you really touch and you don't want to touch unless if it's going to a specialty shock right rebuilder right which uh, has the right nitrogen tank the fill assembly, the right gauges, it's its some special tools involved. Sure. But what you can do if you are into customizing your shocks to your likings or your dampening characteristics, um, you can go another step further. Now we're getting into, I would say once you get into remote reservoirs, you're looking at, in, generally speaking, over $1,000 for a pair, um, depending on you know what brand you go with, what what application it's for. But we're getting into the thousands of dollars now. Um, when it comes to suspension. So we talked about the single, talked about the 2.5. We talked about, you know, adding remote reservoirs. Now you can, if you want, opt in and get um, the DSC adjusters on your remote reservoir, which is going to allow you to adjust the dampening characteristics of the shock. I know you've got some experience with those. You have them on your truck. Explain kind of what... Um, what benefits you have if you want to add that to your remote reservoir. Yeah, so the next step up, um, progressing here again, like we mentioned at the beginning, going up <clears throat> bigger and redder and more expensive, um, is the ability exactly that, to customize the shock on your own. So you're not buying a pre-valve shock. You can, uh, it is valve, but you have the ability to fine tune it. Right. Um, so typically, like for example, a good one that most people are familiar with is the Fox DS. C dual speed control mm -hmm. that allows the uh, you're clear perfect uh, the end doesn't your parents live up here yeah they do not too far um, that allows the end user to dual speed control to control both dampening circuits for compression valve only compression again is 
is exactly that, compressing the shock. Some shocks will have a rebound circuit as well, and that continues to go up the, you know, up the ladder for higher end shocks, but your DSCs will have dual speed compression, which will be your high speed and your low speed compression. If you're the average Joe again and just looking for a cool looking shock, I wouldn't spend the extra money on it, but if you're the guy that maybe, um, good example, wants a, uh, your Jeep to perform really well in fun, fast sections, but you may overload it and go camping on another weekend or maybe rock crawl slow speed sections, it just allows you to kind of fine tune it and develop some settings that work well for how you want your vehicle to ride. Um, and it's very, very important to remember that no people or two people are the same when it comes to dampening. Right. You could take one guy and say, man, this thing rides awesome. And I'd get in it and said, it, it just runs, this thing runs like dog water, it's just garbage. <laughs> right. So everybody has a different preference. Some guys like a real firm setting. Some guys like a really supple, soft, smooth setting. Um, and it really changes from one guy to the next and, and what you have done to that vehicle. But to touch a little on that dual speed control again compression only is typically what it will control high speed and low speed the easiest way to remember which one's which high speed and low speed it's based off of shaft speed so the the shocks shaft speed high speed think of you hit a curb okay or you hit a speed bump the shaft is going to go through its stroke extremely fast so low speed is going to be like that you're in first gear or crawling over a rock and you want that really slow dampening. The shock shaft is going to move slowly through its stroke and it allows you to dampen both circuits independently. Gotcha. So that's a, a dumbed down way. It gets far more advanced than that, but it, it just essentially much like anything hydraulic, it allows more oil to flow through or less oil to flow through based off of much like a faucet. When you turn it in, typically closes it, less oil goes through, it's firmer. When you open it up, more oil goes through, it's softer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that covers all all remote reservoir stuff, at least the, the basics of it. For the basics, yeah. And then you get more, I mean, you can, you start spiraling, you know, spiraling out of control from there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it gets you crazy. Can, you can get into shocks that have rebound adjustments. Rebound um, is the exact opposite of compression, where you have the extension of the shock when it comes back through its motion. You can slow that down, and that is one of the most critical things on a shock, in my opinion, because you control how fast the tire returns to its preset location, where right. you want it to go. So if you think of something like your high speed and the tire drops into a pothole, if you have a really, really fast rebound, the tire is going to want to drop into that pothole really, really fast. Where if you have really low rebound, the tire may stay in a static position and the whole vehicle would drop into the pothole. Gotcha. So it allows you to, again, fine tune that one. Should we go up over and come out Newman Lake? We could. Have you done, um, what is it, Foothills? That's where my parents live. On Foothills? Yeah. Oh. We'll drive right past their place. Okay. Let's do it. Um... <clears throat> But yeah, rebound is typically not something you find on most shocks, but when you start getting pretty deep into them, such as like side-by-sides now will come with shocks that have compression, high speed, low speed, and then you'll also have a rebound circuit. Again, not something you typically see on pickups or automo automotive applications, but really big in the performance off-road and side-by-side. Right. Side. right. Yeah, that's... the. the, the bring up a good point i wasn't even thinking just based on this question where everything we've kind of covered is is geared towards jeep truck yeah. type stuff you get into side by sides that's a whole nother realm because those uh standard what we said were common you know single 2.0 monotube shocks are um ancient history when it comes to side by sides now <clears throat> um we're not going to go into too much detail on it but I know you have some knowledge in it, so I figured you'd be great to kind of explain it. You can even go a step further now and get into some internal bypass type stuff. Um, yeah, so for those external, yeah, explain that a little bit because um, I, I just find it, I think they're really fascinating. Um, again, 
we're getting even more expensive, more fine-tuned on on what you can do, but um, run us through some internal bypass knowledge. Yeah. So with most shocks, you have, again, that, that main piston, and that's going through a volume of fluid, and that's what gives that dampening control, where when you want to customize it even further, the biggest issue is, is you don't have the ability to control multiple zones, meaning like where the shock travel is throughout its travel. Sometimes on certain machines or applications, you would want it to be firmer or softer depending on where the vehicle is in its suspension stroke. Right. So for example, the easiest one is you'd want your shock to firm up when it's almost bottomed out where you'd want it to be really light valved when it's in the upside of the stroke. So you get that small bump compliance, that square edge braking bump stuff, for example, like washboards. But then when you hit that big water bar or G out, you have a different compression zone depending on where the shock is and it's in its uh, travel. Gotcha. So an internal bypass shock has orifices or holes um, in the body of the shock and it depends it's preset typically by the manufacturer. This is not something that you can touch on your own end. But depending on where the piston is and its range of motion, it may go past an orifice or in a hole. This is my parents' place right here. Really? Yep. There's their shops. There's their house. Beautiful. Yeah. How many acres? Uh, Ten. Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. <laughs> Bye, guys. That's a beautiful place. Yeah. little shooting range right here. Rad. Super fun. I have a friend that lives uh, right up here on the left. That's right. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. And um, shout out to um, Machine Head Racing. This is his property right here. Oh, they, he's <laughs> uh, he's building up here. Isn't yeah. He? Yep. So he just got that piece right there. Heck yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the piston, depending on where it's at throughout its stroke or cycle, will open up or go past a uh, a orifice in the shock body and it allow oil to bleed through um, or bypass, hence the name, of the typical shim stack or valving stack right. in order to soften or harsh and firm up the shock valving. So again, uh, think of you're coming into something super fast, the vehicle wants to bottom out, the shock comes down, the piston comes through the body itself, it uncovers an orifice, which allows more oil pressure to go up against the body, or let's say the uh, the shim stack or the piston, and firm things up. And exact opposite for rebound, it can be on both sides of both circuits, so you can control both compression and rebound circuits with a bypass. So you're, it's like you're almost taking <clears throat> the technology in the DSC. Um, a remote reservoir that we just talked about and incorporating that into the shock body for different sections of the shock stroke. Yeah. So you can fine tune from full compression to full droop every aspect of of that piston going up and down. Yeah, it's just more tunable. So rather than having that, and naturally, I, I know there's a guy that's going to come on this, naturally a shock when it compresses, it gets firmer. And that's just simple hydraulics that's simple you know how fluid works and how right. compression works is when you compress something it gets harder it's stiffer sure uh, but just just allows the ability to be a little bit more accurate um, or precise is the right word there with having different zones of dampening gotcha and this is typically not something you would see on a daily driver or a guy that's only camping on the weekends is not going to go out and pick up a set of internal bypass shocks and throw them on his F-150. Probably not. <laughs> Unless if it's a Raptor and it comes with bypass. <laughs> that so, too. <laughs> so there is a lot of companies like Fox that are starting to produce shocks that are <clears throat> bypass that come right on a factory vehicle that you go out and buy like a Ford Raptor. Right. Which is a really cool thing because you're getting this pretty rad Razoo shock on a, on a truck or you know, a vehicle right out of the box without having to upgrade to these components. And that's, I think, worth noting, too, just the seeing the technology advance with um, these vehicle manufacturers. I mean, you got the ZR2 now comes with their fancy um, 
multi-matic shocks. The Ford Raptor, like Ash mentioned, comes with the new Fox live valve shocks. You've got the new Ram TRX comes with the the Bilstein equivalent of the uh, Fox live valve shocks. Um, so you're starting to see a lot more of this technology get put into these OEM shocks on on these higher end model vehicles, which is which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's cool because it's like the the manufacturers are kind of listening to the consumer base. <clears throat> right. These guys are buying, you know, trucks and they're modifying them and putting these shocks on there. So it's an awesome selling point to just buy a rig that already has these, you know, improved shocks on there. And then them, you know, again, listening to their consumers and their customer base and offering it on certain models, for example, like Toyota doing it with their TRD Pro models, right. coming with a, a really cool shock right out of the box. But if you're just the average Joe that doesn't need something like that, you could buy a Sport yep. and get a standard Bilstein 4600 series shock that's going to work fine for you. Exactly. So it's cool. And, and really the side-by-side -side industry is ran with that because most side-by-sides are coming with such killer shock packages now. Um, I mean, we're talking big, big dollar shocks <laughs> yeah. right out of the box. Yeah, it's pretty nutty what they're doing with those things. Um, so there's kind of a, a, a rough dumbed down version of the different types of shocks that you're going to see on a vehicle or the different types of shocks that you're going to want to look at when it comes to the aftermarket industry. Um, but forgot one, though. We forgot one. Um, external bypass. Oh, geez, Louise. <laughs> Talk to me. Um, same exact principle of an internal bypass, but external bypasses have that exterior tube. Um, if you've been around like trophy trucks or really uh, high-end desert cars, stuff like that, you'll see these weird tubes off the side oh, of the that's actual right. main tube of the shock. And that's an external bypass. And that tube typically has a hole or again, an orifice on one side of the shock being the bottom. And then having another whole location at the top side of the shock. And they may be up and down the shock body itself. Some are taller than others. Right. Um, so if you have like a double tube or tri triple bypass or quad bypass shock, all those tubes will be in different areas. And that does exactly the same thing as an internal. It allows the fluid to bypass around the piston to change the dampening. But as an additional feature, each of those tubes have an adjustment on it. Again, like a faucet where you can go in or out to allow more fluid to bypass or less to bypass and gives you additional tuning. So you look at something like a, you know, a class one car or formula or a, um, yeah, off-road truck of a, a trophy truck trophy or something. Truck. I mean, there's a hundred of them out there that are using something like that. They'll have just a plethora, just a laundry list of adjustments on every shock from high speed, low speed. You'll have your, you know, again, compression circuits, rebound circuits, bypass circuits, and then you have your shim stack valving on the pistons. Then you have the uh, spring heights, spring rates. There's so many things that they can change to get the, the ride the way that they want, depending on the course or how the vehicle is being driven. Um, and that's just the very tippity top quad tube bypass or the, you know, exterior external bypass shocks. They, they really don't get any cooler than that. That's the full full geek mode. It's full geek mode. That <clears throat> doesn't apply to most any of us. Um, <laughs> I've ran quad bypasses on my previous truck. Uh, they were cool. Did I really need them? No, but they were cool. <laughs> um, you could definitely fine-tune things, which is really cool. Having a guy that knew how to tune them was the biggest thing. Right. Um, you know, going out and actually driving the rig and having somebody that could watch the truck and really know what to look for right and drive through certain sections and have them fine tune it is the biggest thing so if you're just like the average joe you got a bunch of money burning a hole in your pocket um god bless you but you're going to need a professional shock tuner to really get the most out of them. right and typically it's not going to be off the box or out of the box shock tuning um as far as the shim stacks go and the valving for the piston that's all custom as well so it's a really slippery slope there. Um, let's dive into a little bit on, um, and we briefly mentioned it, coilovers. 
because they're really common. Um, all your uh, IFS trucks um, are going to have that option up front. And you get the similar kind of um, options that we originally talked about. You can get, um, well, there's a couple different ways you can go about it. We'll start cheap and, and work our way up again um, with their, your coilovers up front, which is what this Ford Ranger has. Um, you can replace just your shock or your strut if you would like um or just your coils or you can buy a shock with the coil and replace them simultaneously or you can just get an entire coil over uh set up for the front of your truck so um let's dive into some of those off you're gonna have the same options i guess really um you're gonna have the 2.0 you're gonna have the 2.5 um some options have 3.0 don't they yeah, um, exact same diameters. Typically, you'll start with just your all the valving and everything. We don't have to discuss again. It's all going to be the same. Right. Um, it's just incorporating a uh, an actual spring to the shock body itself. Hence the name coil over. The coil goes over the shock itself. Most trucks come with a typical strut or stock style coil over, which is not adjustable. Um, but yeah, you'll start just like you said. You'll start with just a typical, you know, typical one and a half, two inch diameter body. You go up through all the different dimensions as far as the diameter of the body, and then you'll change um, kind of the performance of the shock. Um, lost myself here. <laughs> uh, right. Performance of the shock based off of the, again, diameter and <clears throat> the additional features that you get, whether it be remote reservoir, or DSC, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And there's a couple of different things to look, look at when you are doing um, a coilover replacement on your independent front end is not necessarily the adjustability of the shock, but if you're wanting to change the lift height of your vehicle, because if you do go with just your strut and coil replacement where you reuse your stock top hat or the, the mounting point, for the top of that coilover, you're not going to get a significant change in your ride height. Um, you know, a stiffer coil might bring the front end of the truck up a little bit, but um, typically that's going to be a stock height replacement, right? Yeah. If you're if you're doing just the shock or just the coil, some things to mention as well. Um, kind of like those Schrader valves. If you've never worked with coilovers before, don't think that you can just take your hand tools out and disassemble this coilover. Um, yeah. It is under load. Um, it is compressed and you do need a tool to compress that spring so you can take the top hat off. Yeah, without tools, you'll have summer teeth. <laughs> yes. And some teeth are over here and some <laughs> teeth are over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just make sure you keep that in mind. Um, you know, it's definitely that essentially once you start taking off that bolt that holds everything together, it's just a loaded. Yeah. You got a little ticking time bomb there. You got to yes. engage your safety squints and, uh, pray for the best but yeah if you have the right tooling uh, uh you know a tooling uh, compressor uh spring compressor tool right um it's gonna make life a lot easier some of the guys will use the real basic ones that are like a piece of all thread with a couple pieces of uh almost like hooks or yeah i've seen those and you just put one on each side or three on it yeah and you can kind of crank <clears> it down and i've seen it work i don't trust it myself i like <laughs> i like my face um so it's best to find a buddy or rent the right tooling to do it. Right. But there is a lot of shocks that do that. A prime example, one of one of the most common ones is the Bilstein series. They're, I want to say they're, they're like B1 series. Right. Um, which comes with a really, really quality shock, but it has you reuse your coil spring. Because the manufacturer, whether it be Chevy Ford, Dodge, Toyota, Jeep, um, that has the strut, that spring has already intended for the vehicle they're pretty good at, at picking the right spring rate right and a lot of them will actually even change them based off the vehicle like a single cab versus crew cab versus quad cab sure will have different spring rates so sometimes this can be a, a benefit just to keep the stock coil if you're not changing the right height right and you just replace the shock itself so you get all the you know the benefits of going to a, a performance shock but don't have to pay the additional cost for an actual coil over or having to buy the or the additional costs incorporated with replacing the coil itself right <clears throat> um it, the higher end version of doing this and if you do want to get a little bit of added height or if you were buying a complete kit um like a suspension kit um it's going to come with completely assembled and um put together 
coilovers top to bottom. Yeah. Um, whether it's, again, just your standard, um, you know, 2.0 or 2.5, uh, with or without a remote reservoir, um, it'll come pre-assembled to where um, when you pull your old coilover out, you can essentially just put this one in. A nice thing, too, with those kits is um, you get a little bit of adjustability on the shock itself. So it'll come with a collar on the top of that coil um, that you can change the ride height. Typically, it'll come preset to level the truck out. So say you buy a, a zero to two inch Fox coilover, when you put that on the front of your you know, F-150, it is going to give you that two inch or inch and a quarter lift up front. Um, and you really don't have to adjust anything from there. Every time I've ran a, a coilover, I've never had to adjust it, but it is an option for those uh, people that want to do that. Yeah, you can fine tune the ride height of the vehicle. Sure. Typically, uh, I would say just a general rule of thumb, like plus or minus about an inch from where it's factory preset. Most of your installation instructions or inst installation manuals will say do not go past this limit right or else you could damage the body of the shock you put too much spring tension or you need to change the spring altogether at that point right but most of them will come preset the level of the truck you have a little bit of wiggle room there so for you you know you're running a heavy front bumper with a winch and it just sits maybe a quarter inch or half inch low in the front you can adjust it to get the truck to sit the way that you want um or for some app you know an example some some applications like toyota's they sit lower on one side than the other from factory right so you can make the truck sit level left to right right yeah i didn't even think about that adjusting it left to right, right so yeah. you're not driving weird yeah it's funny because <clears throat> there are certain manufacturers like the elkas that i'm running on here that label left and right and oh uh, interesting where am i going i don't know where's back that's a dead end yeah <laughs> um that will label left and right and you're typically going to have a different adjustment from the factory they actually know about the issue and they have a different adjustment on the left than the right as far as the preset settings for the coil location so <clears throat> i think fox does that too um i'm sure most manufacturers do on that now but that's right. something to be aware of if you're installing them uh, just make sure you orientate them in the right position right i think the last thing to be said too about when you are going out to purchase your shocks is um, there definitely can be some sticker shock. Um, a lot of people think shocks are just shocks and, yeah. you know, they're, they're cheap. But once you do get into those remote reservoirs or the adjustability characteristics, like the DSCs on the, on the Fox shocks, um, you pay for the quality, you pay for, for those adjustability options. Um, <clears throat> but I think the biggest thing to take away is, uh, do a little bit of research on the manufacturer that, that you're going to put on your, your truck because there are you know seven hundred dollar coilovers out there with remote reservoirs that um you know maybe no one's ever heard of or the guy's building them in his garage um, right. i don't have any specific brands that come to mind or, or anybody that i'm going to call out by any means but um now you're right we're very specific about you know what we like to sell um what we put on our own trucks um and uh i think there's a lot of companies out there that have built really good reputations and their price tag is worth the uh, quality of what you're getting. So yeah, it's typically. one of those things I would not cut corners on cost <laughs> when yeah. it comes to your, your shocks. There's a lot of things on the vehicle you can definitely cut costs on. Right. Um, I mean, I, I can think of handfuls of things that you can go cheaper on and you'd be just fine. Um, but shocks, you know, you really get what you pay for. Yep. You're, you're paying for not only the manufacturer's, research and history and development time you're also paying a lot for the additional materials that they're using compared right. to others so you might have one shock that's a steel body shock um doesn't use any sort of coatings or anything like that you go to a big razu shock that's an aluminum body it's anodized it's got uh, uh things like coated bodies it's got certain coatings on the shafts to make them slipperier so they don't have as much stiction through the seal uh they're using really high high high-end teflon and seal um components from like you know skf and things like that mm -hmm. you are paying for the additional performance to an extent i will say if again you're the average joe that you're never going to use the truck for what that big razu shock was for then you're not really going to notice the difference right but if you're really looking for that top tier performance gap, you're wanting to be better than what you are right now. 
then again, yeah, you get what you pay for. Well, and something else to think about too for the average show is, you know, the steel versus aluminum, obviously the steel is going to heat up a lot faster. So you're going to lose those dampening characteristics, whereas, you know, the aluminum bodies um, tend to keep them, the fluids cooler longer, but also, especially where we're at, uh, Pacific Northwest, we get all four seasons. We get the rainy season, we get ice on the roads, we get them coming and putting all sorts of chemicals down. And I've seen shocks come through our shop that were put on six months ago and they come out of their first winter season and the entire shock body is just pitted and rusted um, because they, you know, skimped out on, you know, just their simple 2.0 monotube shock. They wanted to go cheap. Um, might still have the you know, the nice valving or the nice dampening characteristics is, is another company, but um, that little extra coin towards the materials used will prolong the life of that shock. Yeah, that's a big one. I'm glad you brought that up because weather is a big issue with most shocks. Right. I mean, they're exposed 100% of the time. Yeah, they get beat to death. And then on other applications where the shock shafts are exposed. Yep. Um think of like some side-by-sides most of them are good now about putting deflectors roost deflectors right. and stuff to right. protect or uh, some sort of plastic boot or something like that um but there's certain shocks that just get beat to death because of where they're located and then you get elements on top of that um where you get some nicks in the coating and then you get galvanic corrosion because of all the different stuff on the roads and it just destroys a shock in uh, you know less than a year a shock you just spent big bucks on right so make sure you're selecting the right shock for your climate or how you're going to use the truck or where it's used and if you want them you know if this is a brand new truck and you are you know savvy when it comes to you know turning a wrench or you've got some knowledge in it um they make rebuildable shocks out there too so if you want to spend spend once cry once you know, knowing that down the road you can rebuild them and still have a high-performance shock, uh, there's options like that out there as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think to answer your question, now that we've gone through this whole thing, so Dave lives in, I believe it was Phoenix, Arizona. So he's good on the weather side. He's good on the weather side, but he does a lot of, he said, uh, high-speed desert stuff, crawling um, through the rocks. And he's wanting to know essentially if it's worth saving his saving his dough a little bit longer and getting the 2.5 remote reservoir, or if he's okay with just the standard 2.0 or 2.5 without the reservoir. I'll give you my answer. <clears throat> I think it sounds like, based on your question, that you do spend a lot of time off the road. Um, being that it is a brand new truck, I think you'll be happier with the remote reservoir um, long term. Um, but I also think that you're not gonna not gonna lose out if you don't do the reservoir. Yeah, so I guess that really doesn't answer his question. <laughs> you're um, kind of right there on that that knife's edge of not knowing which side to be on. Right. Um, I mean, both are gonna probably. Well, we both know both are gonna perform way better than what you got now. Oh yeah, big time, um, big big improvement. But. Um, I would probably side on the remote reservoir side as well, just because, you know, buy once, cry once there, you'll, you'll get a better performing shock. Right. Um, and if you're in the desert doing things like that, then that's going to be, uh, again, a big improvement, especially on big stuff like that. If you're moving at any sort of speed, uh, I would say the, the easiest way to answer your question, if you're going to keep the truck, let's say under 15 miles an hour, I wouldn't spend the additional money on a remote reservoir and go big on the shock if you're going to be driving past that for any prolonged period of time i would do the remote reservoir bingo there you go hopefully that answered your question dave so i mean it depends like for example this truck has a two and a half inch coilover replacement with remote reservoirs and dual speed control on the compression circuits and it rides okay it, it's not what i wanted it's not perfect, but I also bought it knowing that I'm going to be adding a lot of weight in the future. So right now it's pretty light. Right. Um, but I'm glad I went that direction over just a standard shock because a lot of times when I go into areas where I'm camping or riding, I'll be keeping a pace of, you know, 25, 30, 40 miles an hour through logging roads, fire roads like that. Right. Um, for a really long period of time. And I'm happy that I have that additional volume and fluid capacity dampening to 
to make the ride good the whole way there. Right. Well, and the, and the other thing to think about too is <clears throat> with shocks, the second you put them on your vehicle, you immediately devalue them. I mean, you might be able to put them on and pull them off and say they've got two miles on them or they're still brand new. That's totally fine. But if you put them on your rig and run them for eight months, a year, um, they're still worth good money. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's going to be, I think, a lot easier for you to go straight to the remote reservoir than buy a non-reservoir. And then six months down the road go, yep, should have got the reservoirs. I'm going to pull these off and sell it. Um, you're just eating money at that point. <clears throat> yeah, you're going to be money in the hole. You can't really recoup the money to, to make up much of a difference there. So, no. Um, I've never been one to buy a used shock because you don't really know the history of it either. <laughs> never um, been off-road. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I would, If you have the ability to afford it, then I would try to put it in your budget. Wait a little bit longer and get the shock that you want to get. Yep. That's what I would do. Where does this go? We're taking a little shortcut. This is a shortcut? Yeah. Oh. I didn't know about this shortcut. Yeah. A hot dog. Um, well, cool. Hopefully that helps you guys out, answer some questions. We'll do this again and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, UTVs because that's a whole other segment. One thing we didn't touch on, and you can touch on this a little bit since we're still on this epic scenic drive, uh, live valve stuff. Shocks are starting to get electronic, my guy. Yeah. What's up with that? The future is now. The future is now. Um, we didn't touch on that at all. We didn't. So there's Fox live valve. There's um, SDI e-click. I believe Falcon Shocks now has, um, I can't remember what their system is called. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but essentially... So these shocks come with, are they calling them an ECU or do they, it's some computer uh, control, control unit. module yeah. um, that you mount on your vehicle and then you run wires to that system. What does it do? It's smart. It's big brain stuff. It's like <laughs> level 900 IQ play. Um, Seriously. You got basically little control valves and solenoids that are on the shock body itself. And then you have a, a microprocessor, a computer that's able to take data in thousands of times per minute and see what the shock's shaft speed is, what the compression rebound valving is doing. They can monitor all these things electronically and they can change it electronically as well. Uh, which typically will have some sort of user interface that allows you to change, like, I want sport mode, or I want performance, or I want comfort, and it will change the valving of the shock electronically to best suit what the vehicle, what you're wanting the vehicle to do. Um, super cool. I, we've really only seen it on side-by-side -side vehicles. I haven't seen it on anything on, like, the, the motorcycle industry other than just readouts so they can tune better, but... These are starting to be incorporated for years now. They've been incorporated into even side-by-sides coming with live valve technology where you have, you know, your main display screen that can, you can change all these settings. But yeah, it's unbelievable that you can control the shocks valving through the push of a button or open up the app on your phone and change right. the way your vehicle drives. Like I put a a bunch of camp gear on the back and a tent and now it weighs a little more so i'm going to firm up my compression valving in the rear it's like and you it's, have little trolls yeah. on your shocks just adjusting them as you drive as you drive <laughs> and then some of them um it's not just for setting a lot of them are smart enough to adapt to what is going on so the shock will yeah. see like i'm coming off of this big rock ledge i'm rock crawling the tire drops off of this ledge and the rebound circuit the shaft speed for the rebound circuit was really fast, meaning that it sensed that this sh this tire is dropping off of the ledge. Mm -hmm. So then it immediately goes, oh, I need to stiffen up compression on that corner, on that shock, so that when the vehicle lands from that, I have enough firmness in the shock to, to hold up. Right. And it happens that fast. So all of those adjustments through, like, DSC and things like that, it's all, yeah, the little little gnomes in there just doing <laughs> it on their own. And you know, there's companies like SDI um, that have gotten really, really crazy with it. I can't remember the exact number, but I, I think it reads 250 times per second 
or, or something crazy like that um, to each corner of your vehicle. But like Ash said, um, they took it a whole step further um, and you can adjust your throttle response, your braking response. So if you want to not have the front of your vehicle you know, pop up the second you slam down on the, the skinny pedal, you can adjust for that. Same thing with braking. If you don't want your nose to dive hard, um, you can make all those adjustments electronically um, at the push of a button. And Incredible. It's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's the cool thing. It's live. Um, it's, it's so cool that, like, for example, like Cooper's Jeep with the e-click system on it, that it's advanced enough to know that, and it can even control things like um, – sway body sway right yeah so you like come into a corner hard and you can watch the digital readout to where when the jeep wants to sway the body wants to roll over to one side like you're taking a left and want the body wants to roll to the right it will firm up the valving for compression on the right side of the vehicle and then stiffen up uh rebound valving on the driver's left side of the vehicle to yep. keep the body from rolling it's it's like a built-in digital sway bar yeah it, and then it's same nutty thing, same thing for acceleration and brake so that anti-squad on like a four-linked vehicle where the rear end wants to, you know, tuck its butt under and the front end wants to come up, you can prevent things like that with the shock valve. It's crazy. It's awesome. Instantaneous on the fly, which is going to completely change the drivability of your vehicle too, depending on what conditions you're in. Um, but yeah, that's, that's everything Ash knows in a nutshell on shocks and a small nutshell. Um, so yeah, hopefully if you guys are getting into the off-road industry, you're on the market for some shocks, hopefully this gave you some insight and, uh, kind of helped you select what you're wanting to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of info out there. There's tons. Just stick tons with a good tons. brand. Um, do your research as with everything that you buy, do your research first. Don't be one of those that buy something then research after. Uh, guilty as charged there. <laughs> um, so do your research up front. Make sure you select the shock that's right for your application. Don't break your bank. Go with something that's going to hold up to your environment. Right. Um, and, yeah, you can't really go wrong with any of the good brands out there. So just stick to something that's you know got a good reputation. Right. And application is important, too. I, I don't think this is needed to be said, but I will say it. Um, when you are buying your shock, make sure you do... You know, buy it from a company that requires you to enter in your year, make and model your vehicle because <laughs> it, don't don't go out and take take a tape measure and measure the length of your shock and then and you base your purchase. Them, yeah, um, the nice thing with these these higher end companies, you know, Fox, Falcon, Bilstein, Icon, all those guys, they valve them specific to your vehicle. So if you say you have a Ford F two fifty, they are going to put specific valves in that shock based on the weight of your vehicle and all the information that they have. So uh, don't be taking measurements and just saying my shock's 14 inches long. I need a 14 inch shock. Um, make sure you're actually putting in your year make model because that's going to completely change uh, what you get and it's going to be specific to your vehicle that you are currently driving. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, there's a lot of people where like eBay shocks. Yeah, <laughs> eBay shocks or they'll, they'll buy, you know, uh, 2014 F-150 and then transfer them over to their 2022. Um, yeah, they might bolt on, but there's a lot, there's been a lot of changes. Um, and, it, and there's so many other things we can go into, especially if you're lifting your vehicle as far as, you know, when you should or shouldn't get upper control arms and all that stuff. But, um, we wanted to focus on shocks. Ironically enough, that was a question that we got right before we hopped in the rig to start filming. So thanks for reaching out, Dave. Uh, we absolutely have a blast answering your guys' questions. Um, so if you guys want to submit topics, um, you want us to cover something, you have specific questions, even if it's just, you know, what's your favorite place to wheel, where should I go next, whatever yeah. it may be, uh, send us your questions on either Instagram, you can comment on YouTube, you can send me an email, Kyle at America's Offroad Podcast.com. We'd love to cover them for you guys. And uh, yeah. Let us know if you like these road trip episodes too. I know I like them, but they're fun. It's, it's, it's fun on our end. It's definitely uh, different than sitting in the studio, that's yeah, for sure. It's definitely uh, lose my uh, thought process <laughs> half the time just from looking <laughs> at stuff, but. Um, it's definitely difficult on the audio side. I can even hear in my headset the uh, engine RPMs. So that's kind of interesting. But if you guys like it, that's something we can maybe 
try to improve upon. Yeah, we're always looking for ways to make quality better. So um, I dig it. Yeah, another shout out to Rugged. We're using their portable intercom. Um, a lot of you guys have asked how we're doing audio on this. So we picked up just one of these. It's called the H1N1 Handy Recorder. Looks like this guy. Um, Rugged Radios makes a portable intercom that just plugs right into the cigarette lighter. <clears throat> these are obviously Rugged Radios headsets. Um, we plug the audio into the intercom, turn everything on, and then record from a GoPro. So Pray for the best. And fingers crossed we didn't mess anything up or forget to turn something on. Um, so far, so good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how we're doing it. For I, I saw a couple of questions come through on, on how we were able to record this. So uh, that's how we're doing it for the time being. If you guys know of a better way we can do it, definitely reach out. Let us know. Um, until then, we'll see you guys next time on another episode. Bye-bye. Adios.